Welcome to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. The show that gets you inside access to how some of retail real estate's most successful leaders went from your average Joe Schmo to the CEO. I'm your host, Aaron Zucker. Hey everyone, before we get started, I wanted to take a quick second to thank the guys at CM for making this podcast happen. They've brought Limitless from an idea to making it a reality, and I can't thank them enough for support along the way. If you're looking to get going on your own content creation journey or need help with your marketing, I'd strongly encourage you to reach out to them at kazcm.com. A very successful person once told me, don't let school get in the way of your education. Prime example of that that comes to mind for me was my grandfather. He was a Holocaust survivor and only made it to fifth grade. But despite that, he spoke six languages. Anthony Grasso, or as I call him, Tony, didn't let school get in the way of his education either. There's a conception in our business that everybody has to have a college degree and the better school that you went to makes you more qualified to do certain tasks within our business. And a lot of people would theoretically make the argument that the better educated you are, the more inclined or the more likely you are to be at the C-level of a large organization. Despite Tony dropping out of school after his freshman year and never completing college, he's made it to that pinnacle and he's done it by not letting school get in the way of his education. He's always been a self-motivated student, student of entrepreneurship, student of commercial real estate, student of business in general, and it's paid off for him. And his story to getting to where he is now with FNRP's wild success is not necessarily done so in the most conventional way, which is why I'm excited to share Tony's story with you. Tony Grasso, the co-managing principal of FNRP, one of the fastest growing grocery anchor shopping center owners in the country, who's quickly becoming a good friend of mine. I am Really excited to have you on the show. Appreciate you joining me. How you doing? I'm doing great. Pleasure to be with you. Awesome. Let's dive right into it because you are a fascinating guy. For those who haven't had the chance to get to know you in person or by Googling you yet, we'll just start from the beginning before we talk about all the major success that FNRP's had so far. Tell me about yourself. Where and how did you grow up? What was your family life like? Like, Give us the whole uh, spiel of what your childhood was like. We're going to go deep here. And thank you for the kind words. You read it just like I wrote it down on the sheet of paper for you. So (laughs) so how you did that. Yes. Again, my name is Tony Grasso. I'm the co-founder and uh, managing principal at First National Realty Partners. We're a private equity sponsor focused on grocery anchored retail throughout the United States. So I don't know. I've always kind of been an entrepreneurial type of guy. I've always read books. I've always been intrigued by business and making money and success and all that type of stuff. So I mean, I remember even when I was a kid, I was selling candy and sodas and all kinds of stuff in grade school and middle school throughout high school. So I've always kind of had a kind of entrepreneurial gene. I grew up in Matawan, New Jersey, which is kind of the start of the Jersey Shore. It's the central Jersey. And I had a good upbringing, good parents. And, and my dad always encouraged me to kind of be an entrepreneur. So I think that's kind of, uh, not that he was one, but that's kind of, he kind of encouraged that streak in me. What did your dad do or what does your dad do? that made him not necessarily that he was an entrepreneur, but he was kind of nudging you to do that. Yeah. He's still kicking. He's still working too. He actually installs self-checkouts at the supermarket. That's what he does. So, you know, he works for a big publicly traded company. So yeah, he was never really an entrepreneur, but he was a pretty smart guy and he had good ideas. And he always encouraged me in all my business efforts and whatnot and spotted me money to go buy gum so I could go out and resell it at a higher profit. So he was always a guy who supported what I was doing, regardless of any entrepreneurial endeavor I got involved in. Love that. That's really cool to have supportive parents. My dad is not an entrepreneur either, but is really encouraging of my entrepreneurship too. And like, it's nice when you're not being told that's a bad idea, especially with people that you idolize. I mean, it's pretty natural for people to adore their parents. 
what was the rest of your family life like? Did you have siblings? I mean, what's the story there? Yeah, I have two sisters. One actually works for me today. So she's actually done a really, really good job. I said I wasn't going to hire any friends and family, but she does a phenomenal job. So my one sister works with me. That's the little sister. I'm the oldest. My middle sister lives in Jersey. So I actually live in South Florida now. But yeah, both my parents were there. I had two sisters, grew up pretty much middle class and you know, wasn't, didn't really have a commercial real estate background, didn't have a rich uncle or someone who kind of showed me the way. I kind of just uh, got in, felt kind of into it. And really through reading books and learning from people through reading is really what got me into commercial real estate. Oh, don't worry. We're going to get really into the reading because I'm an avid reader myself and love stealing people's book ideas. So kind of keep that in the back of your mind toward the end of the episode for sure. So how were you as a student growing up? I mean, you'd like to read. So clearly you were interested in learning. The question is, were you a decent student or were you like me where it's only interesting if you care about it? What's the story there? Yeah. You hear a lot of successful entrepreneurs weren't great with their grades. I actually had got really good grades. I was in National Honor Society. had a almost a 4.0 GPA. The thought of having to go back to college or go back to school now, I didn't actually graduate from college, but the thought of going to back now you know, would be like a nightmare for me. But I always did really, really well in school. I had great grades. I was just always an A student, did well throughout high school, all the way from kindergarten through high school. I was a great student. Interesting. So all the way through high school, what did you do after high school? You mentioned that you didn't finish college, which I was familiar with, obviously, given our friendship. But you know, everybody's kind of wondering because we've got this stigma in our business that you just, oh, you just assumed everybody went to college. When in reality, a lot of the roles in our industry don't really require it. I mean, we... Our society in commercial real estate requires it because it shows it like as a basic prerequisite, but it's like not a lot of like specific commercial real estate degrees. Sure, you've got accountants and lawyers who are qualified through extra school and it totally makes sense, but kind of give us the background on your story of not finishing college and what that was all about. Yeah. And as long as I've been in business, I've never had an investor, a vendor, an employee ever probably now that I'm thinking about it asked me where I went to school. I mean, I'm sure someone asked me, but it wasn't like in the context of deciding whether they wanted to work with me or not. So yeah, I actually went to Florida State. I had a full scholarship to play football and didn't really work out for me. I wound up coming back to community college in New Jersey and I just kind of got tired with school. I was an entrepreneur. I kind of wanted to get right out and start making money and, and trying to find success. And I, when I left Florida State, I had maybe delusions of grandeur that I was going to come back and become this incredibly successful entrepreneur overnight. Because I was young, I didn't really realize what it took to be successful. So I came back to community college. I wound up not finishing there. I kind of got a job on Wall Street and the financial services space at an investment bank. And that's kind of where my career started there. And it wasn't glorious or anything like that. Just a lot of hard work is kind of what got me to where I was eventually. And I look back at the financial services background and the Wall Street roots that I had. And I think it plays a huge role in the success that the firm has had today. So it's so funny because when you hear investment banking, you know, financial services, Wall Street, you think Ivy League schools and you think, let alone graduating from those Ivy League schools. Of course, you didn't have an Ivy League background, nor did you have a degree and you still figured out your way on the Wall Street. I know I'm certainly wondering, I'm sure everybody who will listen to this wondering, how did that come about even? I mean, that had to have taken some... Uh, I'm sure there wasn't just a traditional walk right through the front door path there. I mean, what's the story there? Yeah, I actually got a job selling insurance while I was still enrolled at community college. And I really did like the financial services space. And I really parlayed that job into selling myself to a firm that I was going to come in. I was going to work harder than everybody. I was willing to do what everybody else wasn't. 
And I really used that kind of springboard to get me in with a firm. And that's really what allowed me to kind of get my foot in the door. And then I just worked hard and had some decent success in the space and really no secret sauce. I mean, if you apply to a bunch of different places, you find somebody who likes you, you sell yourself, you show that you're diligent, you can add value to the firm and to their customers, somebody's going to take you on. That's kind of what my opinion is. So I don't know, maybe I look at things differently, but if you're willing to work hard and you're smart and you're willing to sell, I think there's a lot of opportunity out there today. I totally agree. So you end up on Wall Street. You can't be older than like 20 at this point, right? Yeah, yeah. I was yeah, 19, 20, something around there. All right. Keep going. You got me on my heels. What happens next? I kind of just built a career and I just kind of worked my way up and I found success. And I started off as a low man on the totem pole and was able to get to a point where I wouldn't say uber success or anything, but I started to make a good living and decided ultimately that I didn't want to go back to college, even though I had a good academic background. I'd always done well in school. I said, you know what? I can make enough money. I'm an entrepreneur. Let me figure this out. But ultimately, even though I was working in, let's say, a sales or production-based capacity, I really wasn't an entrepreneur. I was a salesperson. And there's a big difference. It's not a big difference, but there was definitely a difference between being just a salesperson, which is in a business yourself, versus being an entrepreneur. So I always wanted to get onto the principal investing side of things and really not just put money together for other people's deals. And even though I had success and I was making a decent income, ultimately I said, I got to get onto the sponsorship side or the principal side and start doing my own deals. And that's kind of what pushed me into where I am today. When you were providing the financial services, if you will, those investments were in real estate. Is that fair to assume or no? No, you know what? I had raised money for all kinds of deals, real estate included. Gotcha. Okay. So... How did it evolve to where you're raising capital for all sorts of deals? Did you just like real estate the most? Like, How did we get to the story of where you are now with that? Yeah. So my dream was really always to own tens of thousands of apartment units since I was probably 13 or 14 years old. And I read Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I always wanted to own apartment units. And I had this idea. I probably had a skewed idea of the real estate business that you just buy it and just produces cash flow and there's no operating factor which is something I really learned is not the case being in the real estate business. But yeah, so I always wanted to be in the apartment business. I always wanted to accumulate units. There was just something around it that sounded pretty cool to me. And even when I was going to college or working on Wall Street, I ultimately wanted to own apartment buildings or commercial real estate, but really apartment buildings. And, you know, had always been kind of in my DNA to try to get into that space. And, you know, now I do shopping centers, but Ultimately, I wanted to be in commercial real estate. I wanted to own apartment units. And the thought process of accumulating to me was a pretty cool one. Gotcha. Okay. So that makes sense. So you were doing well in the financial services space, syndicating capital for different investment opportunities. And then you ultimately... How long did you do that? And at what point did you decide, I want to go out and buy my own real estate deals? I did that probably for five or six years, probably till I was like 24, 25. Okay. And then I kind of... So you know what? Now's the time. It's now or never. I'm either going to take a shot or I'm not. So I left that business entirely and then got into, planted the flag and did my first real estate deal and kind of strung them along all along the way. And that's kind of how I got started. What was your first deal like? Tell me about that. My first deal was $504,000. It was eight apartments and two stores in North Jersey. And I look back at it and we successfully exited it, but it was a really good deal. We should have probably held it even longer just where you look at where multifamily is today. But we closed on that deal in March of 2016, bought it, 
went in, did some renovations, very minor, not like a total gut rehab job, but just did some common areas and redid some of the apartments. And that was kind of my first foray and my first deal. And then I wound up buying the one across the street. And then I bought a few more in New Jersey. And then ultimately wound up getting owner financing on a deal, left the state, and then went on to do bigger things. Interesting. When you were putting those deals together, were you using your own equity? Were you syndicating a little bit of both? I'm just curious to hear how you put those together. Combination of both. Nice. So you're building up, you're doing bigger and bigger multi-deals. These are all exclusively in Northern New Jersey. Is that right? Really all over New Jersey was probably the first six or seven deals, maybe eight deals were in New Jersey. Got all it. over South Jersey, all the way up to North Jersey. And they were all multi-deals. Is that right? No, no. The first two were multi. The third was an office. The fourth was a retail center. That's the one we got owner financing on. We did an industrial flex deal. We did some retail deals. So really, the whole smatter. Got it. And when you say we, you mean you and partners? Or obviously, I'm kind of teeing up for the entrance of Chris into your life, of course. Yeah. When I say we, I say my partner, Chris and I, and or first national realty partners, which is what the name that we set up in late 2015. Gotcha. Well, how did you and Chris meet? I mean, what's the background there? Was he a Wall Street buddy or? Yeah. 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 We met on Wall Street. Nice. We met working in the financial services space and we hit it off from day one and wound up kind of working together in that space. And then ultimately found out that we shared a similar vision. We were entrepreneurs and wanted to do our own thing and, you know, had a lot of the same values. And now we've known each other probably for, I don't know, 11, 12, 10 years, something like that. And, you know, we've had squabbles here and there, but really we've got, we've got a great business relationship and we get along, we, we think on the same page and have the same exact vision. So we've, we've been lucky that we've been able to find each other. And I think we complement each other really well. Nice. That's awesome. So 2015, 16-ish, you start buying the multis and then the Flex Industrial and the one retail deal with the seller financing. That's not that long ago. That's four or five years ago we're talking about as we talk today. Your company now is substantial size. So how did you and the team get from having a handful of deals over the course of a couple of years to where you guys are today? I mean, there's some explosive growth in that time frame. I think it looks like it's explosive growth when you're starting from a standstill, but I'm sure there's a lot of other companies that acquired much more than we did in that same period of time. We have equity partners that have worked with us in the first deal that are still working with us and investing in our deals. So it's just been an evolution of hopefully taking care of our equity partners and they like what we're doing and they tell other people and getting involved with institutional investors and building the track record that we've built and then just continuing to scale it. There's really no secret sauce to it. It's just continuing to acquire good assets, deliver on what we're trying to in the business plan. And then as time goes on, it's just you get bigger and bigger and, and have more resources. And now for us, it's really a matter of finding the right deals and stuff that really, really makes sense. And we don't need to do deals just to do deals. And that's never going to be the model. We're not like a factory, but we want to find stuff that makes a lot of sense that we think offers a superior risk-adjusted return and just keep buying and acquiring and building out our platform and hiring great Yeah. I mean, you're going pedal to the floor, if you will, on just doing the right things over and over again, which certainly commend you for. That said, four or five years ago, you had... I mean, was there like a breakout year or a breakout deal that allowed you guys to kind of scale the business as quickly as you did? I mean, was there... Obviously, if you had 5 to 10 deals in 2016, you guys own how many properties now? I think we're like 31 or 32, about gotcha. 4 million feet. Yeah. Gotcha. So the deals got bigger too. It wasn't necessarily that the quantity got out of control. Because if you run the math, right? Over 5 years, if you do 5 or 6 years and you don't sell anything, you get to 30. Yeah. 
no question the deals got bigger. And you know, we're in the grocery and retail space, which really across the board is like a small balance business. It's not like there's multi-billion dollar neighborhood retail centers. I mean, I'm certainly sure you can find outliers that are in the hundreds of millions, but predominantly retail is a smaller balance game. The bigger balance stuff used to be regional malls, which is not something that we kind of go after or want to touch. But yeah, the deals have gotten bigger. I don't want to say there was one breakout moment. I remember one deal early on that we brought out and we funded it pretty quickly because our partners really liked it. And we got a great buy. It was an office deal in South Jersey. I remember we kind of looked around and said, wow, this is pretty cool at that point in time. But there wasn't other than that one moment. I don't think there's really any situation where it's like, oh my God, now we're here. It's just been a lot of hard work one foot in front of the other, blocking and tackling, nothing really too sexy. I wish there was some deal or something that put us on the map. It's just been kind of one foot in front of the other and setting a vision and then trying to take steps to get toward that vision. Makes sense. Any good embarrassing stories from when you started putting deals together from your days of going from financial services, jumping into to the sponsorship side, which is a bold jump. I mean, a lot of people you know, would have looked at it and said, hey, I should go work for a company first or I should do some brokerage first or whatever. You and Chris obviously had the ambition and the confidence coupled with the commitment to your education of doing it right, of figuring out a way to do it right. Like, was there any like slip ups that you can kind of look back on now and laugh and say, you know, it's okay because we were able to work through it through hard work? Or were you that prepared? Yeah, there hasn't been anything terribly embarrassing. There's been a lot of stuff that we've learned, is what I could say. My outlook on the business is so completely foreign to what it was when I originally got in. And it's crazy how much I think I've learned over the last five, six years. So I think there's definitely some things that we're doing differently now that we weren't doing, let's say, in 2016 when we kind of got started. So we've learned a lot. But I would say the one thing that I've learned, if I was going to say one thing, not embarrassing, but the biggest learning lesson, and I kind of alluded to it earlier in one of your questions, is the shift from when I originally was 13 or 14 years old or even before I got into the business. Looking at real estate as if it's an investment, which it can be an investment, it's structured as a passive investment versus an operating business. It truly is an operating business like any other company, any tech firm or manufacturing company or IT services firm. I think a lot of investors that want to get into the space have this notion that commercial real estate or cash flow producing real estate is like an investment or, or a bond. And you're just going to go out and buy it. And these tenants are going to send you rent in the mailbox or ACH every single month, and you're not going to have to do anything. And it's just completely not the truth at all. I look at it now as we've been able to hire really good people and put phenomenal process and procedure in place. And now it's really a value add for us. But if you asked me six or seven years ago, kind of what my thought process was on the commercial real estate space, I'd say, yeah, you put money in and you get a return on your investment. I didn't really understand how thorough you had to be on the operating front. And I'm glad I do now. And I'm glad we've been able to put people in the right seats to really take advantage of that. Now it's in our favor, I think. No, that's great intel. That's great wisdom. I really appreciate that. It's something that when you explain it, the light bulb certainly clicks, but it's not something... I totally agree. I think a lot of people have that same notion that you had five or six years ago. And I probably fall victim to that sometimes. And I spend all day every day doing it like you do. So I certainly can totally relate to where you're coming from. Did you always know that this was the seat you wanted to end up in? And you always knew you were going to be an entrepreneur, it sounds like. But the question is, is did you know that... I guess you always knew it was going to be in real estate since you were 13 or 14. Is that, is that right? No, not at all. Not at all. I mean, I, I liked real estate. I thought it was an idea that made sense. But 
to me, what really juices me up and gets me excited is the thought of building something larger than myself and building a lasting enterprise. So could have been in the oil business, could have been in the tech business. I just wanted to get into something that I really enjoyed and that I saw had some potential to be much larger. Sure. And that's what I really enjoy about what I do now is there really is no ceiling. You know, it's just a matter of your own limiting beliefs holding you back from achieving what you want to do. Because there's just like you said, it you know sounds like we've gone through explosive growth, but that's really relative because there's a lot of other investors that have acquired a hell of a lot more than we have in the last five years. So there's always somebody bigger. Ceiling can always be higher. And we just want to do great deals and, and build a platform that lasts for a long time. Amen to that. There's certainly a ton to be said for that. Certainly, no one walks into this business knowing exactly what it's all about and being able to know what to do at, at any given moment. Obviously, you, you indicated earlier that you're a big reader. But I would imagine some people helped you along the way. Talk to me about your mentors. I got to be honest. I wish I could sit here and say and point to one guy and say, this guy taught me everything that I know. If you look back in the history of people, there's certain people that have mentors that definitely guided them and pushed them the right way. My mentors were really the books that I read, I think, is what formed a huge chunk of my mindset and mentality when I'm looking at business. I had certain people along the way that taught me a little bit here and there, but I can't really point back and say, this is the one guy who showed me how to get into the private equity real estate business because I didn't have that. My partner, Chris, is a little bit older than I have, so I'm sure I've learned a lot from him. There's been guys that I've worked with along the way, but we kind of figured it out ourselves. And I kind of look at some of the team members and the employees that we have in place now as almost mentors. Like our COO, Kurt, is a guy who's been doing it for 30 years, and he teaches me stuff about commercial real estate all the time. But ultimately, I don't have one person that I can point to and say, this guy really showed me the way. And I think if I did, I probably would be even hopefully more successful than I am today. But uh, there's not one individual. There's a team of people that work for me now that I attribute most of my success to. But I don't really think I can point to one guy that showed me kind of the way. And that's certainly an okay answer with that being a group and then some books. I'm just going to get into it. I typically ask this question, what's the one book that changed your life toward the end of the show? But what it sounds like is that books played a major influence in your life. And it sounds like there was more than one. What were some of the books that were just instrumental for you in your development and growth and, and learning how to... So I would say the first book I read would be that really moved the needle for me was Rich Dad, Poor Dad by Robert Kiyosaki, which did a really good job of showcasing the difference between being an entrepreneur and kind of how society looks at money and business and all that stuff. So that was definitely a pivotal moment after I read that book. And that got me onto a path of entrepreneurship. But there's more than that. There's mindset. You look at books along the line of Think and Grow Rich and all that by Napoleon Hill that kind of force you to understand that thought is probably the single most important thing and how you think is probably the most important thing in your life. So I would say Think and Grow Rich and books in that type of vein, positive mental attitude and all that good stuff. And then also the Rich Dad Poor Dad are probably the two biggest ones that made an impact on my life. Nice. Awesome. Look, this business is, can be crazy at times. It's certainly not life or death, but it can definitely bring on its stresses. I mean, what are some of the biggest or what is the biggest curveball that you've had to face in your journey to where you are so far? There's just so many things. I can't even really point to one thing. There's so many things when you a salesperson or an entrepreneur, I think it forces you to grow up really quick. No doubt. Because you're faced with so many different challenges. I mean, just whether it's personnel or employees or issues with a vendor or an investor or whatever, there's just part of being an entrepreneur is dealing with those challenges and then coming up with solutions to overcome them. And that's really what leadership is all about is 
addressing problems, saying, hey, we understand that here's what we're going to do. That's what leadership's all about. So that's what it comes down to, in my opinion. Sure. What's the craziest deal you've ever worked on? Trying to think. This office deal that I mentioned earlier, which was a $1.9 million deal, we bought it like a 14 cap. Whoa. And it's a really good product and we still have it in the portfolio and we're going to be selling it soon. But that was a really, really cool deal. I wish I could find more like that. I'm sure. Class A product, good product that we just got lucky and guy had an issue and was motivated and we were able to buy it, pick up. There's been some, some lease deals that we've worked on that have been pretty cool, big deals that get you excited. The way that I really got into the retail business and said, wow, this is incredible is I had a national pharmacy as a tenant in one of my properties and they had three years of term left. And I was able to structure a 20-year extension with them. And I bought the property for like an 11 cap rate. And by negotiating that one lease, we were able to increase the value of the property. Maybe not quite double, but almost pretty close. And that was for me and Chris, really the light bulb went off. We said, wow, we can impact the value of a property off of a phone call and a conversation with one tenant. This is pretty cool. Versus multifamily, which was more of an operational type of game. Not that there's anything wrong with that. There's guys that are highly successful in that space. But we really got excited about being able to materially change the outcome of the deal by leveraging off the tenant relationship. And when we did that one deal, that's kind of how we got into the into the retail and the grocery anchored space. And every deal we do now, we try to use our relationships to add a bunch of value. We've done a bunch of extensions with tenants prior to acquiring a property, pre-lease space prior to acquiring a property. So I think that was the one eye-opener for us is how you can use a tenant relationship, let's say in the commercial space to really manipulate and increase the value of a piece of property. Makes complete sense to me. Rinse and repeat on those deals, right? I wish I could find more. They don't grow on trees. You and me both, for sure. Assuming you have a weakness, which I have yet to find, what is it? And how do you navigate it? Oh, man. Put me on the spot here. That's the whole point, man. We got to challenge you a little bit. My weakness is... Honestly, I'm probably not the most thorough individual. So I surround myself with people that read through all the documents, analyze all this stuff. I'm a deal guy. You know, I'm a high-level guy. Sure. So I need to be surrounded by people that are very, very detail-oriented and read all the fine print, underwrite the heck out of the deal. And those are the guys that I do really, really well with because we can kind of jive off of each other. You're the yin to their yang. It makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And not that I'm like so not thorough, but it's just I like to focus on the high level. I don't like to get bogged down with the minutiae and the details. And when you're like that, wired that way, you have to have people around you that can make it happen and that can fill in the gaps and push that vision that you have forward. Sure. Makes total sense. So you're like me, right? We're both younger guys. You're the first guest I've ever had that's younger than me. You're 31? 31. I'm coming up here on 32. Though. Yeah, you're getting old like me. We'll have to celebrate your birthday at some point. So you're unique in the, of the 18 guests that I'll have had by the end of this tranche of episodes. You'll be the only one that's younger than me. So I'm really curious to get your answer to this because we have similar experience levels. And so I'm curious to hear how your answer may be different or very similar to mine, which is what advice do you have for people that are less than 5 years into the business who are just getting going, who haven't been a part of a major recession, but at the same time, did have to deal with this curveball that was COVID. What general advice do you have for people that are a little bit less experienced than us in the business? My advice would be to anybody, whether it's in this business or any other business, would be to have a big vision and to think big. Because when you do that, 
and believe in yourself and have confidence that you're actually going to be able to do something with that vision. See, the thing for me is, is that whenever it got tough and I always believed in myself and I had a vision that I was ultimately going to be incredibly successful so that if I came across any obstacles, it was really no big deal. So I think having a big vision and really understanding what you want to do with your life and what you want to build is definitely a big thing in business. And then the other thing would be master the use of the English language, be able to persuade people, be able to get people to buy into that vision. So have a big vision and then be able to get people to buy into that. I think everything else is kind of just conversation. It's seeing yourself, thinking, being positive, and ultimately achieving your goals. And then finding like-minded people that can help you achieve that goal, I think is the key to success. Love that. Love that answer. Mine wouldn't deviate very much. I like how you kept it broad though and made it applicable to really anybody. I agree. It didn't have to be somebody who's less than 5 years in the commercial real estate business. I mean, those words and, and wisdom could really resonate with anybody who's listening. So I know on behalf of everybody who does listen to this, thank you for saying that. So this is my last challenging question. So buckle up for it. In fairness, I do ask everybody this one. So you don't get any uh, preferential treatment around here. You got to answer it too. So Tony's got... Look, your runway in the business is very long. You're not going anywhere anytime soon. We all know that. I'm going to challenge you a bit. 50, 60, 70, 80, however many years from now, you're going to hang it up. You're going to be done. You're going to be ready to hang out on that beach and actually enjoy Miami a little bit. When you do that, ICSC and the other real estate publications are going to write an article saying, the myth, the man, the legend himself, Tony Grosso, he's done. He's retiring. He's going to go fish or play golf or whatever your vice is at that time. What do you want that article to say about you? What do you want your legacy to be like in this business? So that article probably won't be written until I die because hopefully I can do deals when I die. I feel like I retired probably four or five years ago. So I'm lucky in the standpoint that I love what I do. And I'm not one of these guys that's itching to get out and go do something else. If I wanted to do something else, I'd figure out a way to try to do that full-time and maybe do this part-time. But I hear where you're going with the question. What do I want my legacy to be? I don't know. You just kind of question what life is all about when you ask a question like that. But I want people to know me as a good guy took care of his investors, took care of his employees, took care of his vendors and built a great business. I'm not one of these guys that's an egomaniac that's got to say I'm the best and I'm the greatest and they got to publish my memoirs and talk about why I'm so much better than everybody else. I actually abhor that type of stuff. I just want to be known as a good guy. I love what I'm doing now. I want to do it as long as I can. And if somebody happens to write about what I did, great. If not, I could really honestly give a shit less. <laughs> I love that. I love that. What a great set of parting words from Tony, who, if you can't tell already, does not necessarily do a great job of beating around the bush. He likes to keep it honest and straight and, and have a great candor, which I love love about him as we've quickly grown our friendship. Tony, I can't thank you enough. I can't tell you how much I commend what you and Chris have been able to build in such a short period of time. It's very admirable. I love how you didn't overcomplicate it. You guys are doing it the right way by putting your heads down and working extremely hard, and but yet still thinking big and I just can't thank you enough for taking the time to be on the show. And I know I speak on behalf of everybody that this was a hell of a time. This was quite the pleasure. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. Happy to come back anytime and you're not so bad yourself. So let's keep in touch. And thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening to Limitless, how to crush it in commercial real estate. I hope you were able to extract one piece of value out of today's episode. That's my only goal. If you did in fact get some value out of it, let me know via LinkedIn, Instagram, or through a review wherever you get your podcasts.